0: Uh, read again verses from Romans 12, uh, reading from verse 9 to 16. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, <laughs> faithful in prayer. Share with God's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be seated. Well, as you'll have gathered, the deacons' court are engaged in a protracted study of uh, Tim Keller's Mercy Ministries, and uh, we had a, a very useful discussion last Sunday after the evening, after the morning service, about um, how we tried to put into practice the call on all Christians to have a ministry of mercy. Uh, One of the things that we're hoping to do is to uh, involve the the whole congregation uh, through a survey. And I was asked if, uh, in the course of the regular preaching, I would look at this very important topic. And uh, providentially, the section of Romans that we were about to study in any case, deals with showing mercy within the context of the fellowship of the church. Uh, So we have share with God's people who are in need, practice hospitality. And so what I'm proposing doing this morning is using this this text uh, for mercy ministry within the the family of God, within the church itself. Okay, so it's a a more narrow focus than mercy ministry in general, which embraces the whole uh, community uh, with the church. But to look at mercy ministry within the church and then God willing, uh, next time we can look from uh, a different part of the Bible at showing mercy uh, to those outside the family of faith. This is how uh, Tim Keller defines uh, ministry, mercy, mercy ministry. The ministry of mercy is the meeting of felt needs through deeds. So it's a practical thing. As agent of the kingdom, the church is not the kingdom of God, the church is the agent of the kingdom of God, the church seeks to bring substantial healing of the effects of sin in all areas of life, including psychological, social, economic, and physical. There's an enormous amount <laughs> packed into that definition. Uh, sin hurts all of life. It doesn't just affect our spiritual relationship with God. Uh, it introduces a dislocation in life in general. So, because of sin, people get sick. People fall into poverty. People get addicted to alcohol and drugs. uh, People suffer from mental uh, illness. uh, Accidents happen. There's loneliness. All of these things blight life because of sin. And these things will not leave us completely until Christ returns. At Jesus' return, he will usher in a new creation in which none of these things which spoil the world at present will exist. Right now, the kingdom of God is present because of the gospel, but is not present fully. It's here, but it's not fully here. And this is an important distinction And that's why in the definition, uh, Leaning on Francis Schaeffer Keller, speaks about uh, us bringing in substantial healing through the church. So that substantial healing is not complete healing because Jesus hasn't come back yet, right? So the church brings in substantial healing. And so there are two... um, Two sides that we've got to avoid falling over into. One is the the side of over-expectation that uh, sometimes uh, besets parts of the church, where uh, the church demands complete healing of of sickness and and, uh, poverty and so on, and expects that to happen. Well, it won't happen until Jesus returns. But on the other hand, we are to expect substantial healing through the gospel. And not to do so would be to lack faith. <laughs> Chapter 12 of Romans shows how the righteousness that Christ has obtained uh, for us is worked out practically uh, in righteous living uh, in the church. And then it goes on uh, in the subsequent chapters to address the family and the nation. Paul opens in the first two verses of Romans 12 with a calling to all of us to true worship, which is to offer your life as a living sacrifice. And that will happen, he says, when uh, you are renewed uh, through the. Sorry, when you are transformed by the renewing of your mind. So it's not being conformed, but it's being transformed that we seek. And that's done through the renewing of the mind, through the Bible, through the Word of God, applied in the power of the Holy Spirit. And then he considered what this new life looks like in the church. The church is one body with many members. And each of us in the church uh, is to find out how our gifting fits in to the body. We all have a ministry and we need, with the help of others, to examine our giftings with a sober judgment, Not thinking too highly of ourselves, but seeing where we fit in and how we can provide uh, for the good of the wider church. But the verses that continue uh, from verse 9 to the end of the chapter, they're different because they describe things that all of us indiscriminately are to do. So they don't just apply to certain people who have certain giftings. All of us are to love. All of us are to be uh, busy praying for and loving our enemies. It's not just sectors within the church that do that. All of us are to engage in a response of love. When Paul says, let love be sincere, the word for love he uses is agape. So we often are told that agape only describes Christ's love, but actually the word... uh, took on a new and fresh meaning because of the cross and it comes to mean a a, a self-sacrificing love, a love for the other, uh, often at the expense of the self. And it's that love which is to characterise our attitudes towards those in the household of faith. Self-sacrificial, self-giving love is spoken of in the following verses. So in verses 9 to 16, uh, with exception of verse 14, the emphasis is on love within the church. And from verse 17 to the end, we're to consider how we love those outside the church uh, who are mean to us in different ways. Now, it should be clear that we're talking about uh, in-house love, if you like, in verses 9 to 16, because of a number of the terms that are used there. Uh, we see the use of brotherly love in verse 10 and then in verse 13 uh, it's God's people who are in need that are to be helped. Now, obviously, and as we'll see later on, that doesn't rule out love for those who are outside the church but it does set the priority for loving those who are related to us in Christ as brother and sister. In Old and New Testament, the giving of practical support was a healing ministry for those who entered into covenant with God by coming under the rule of God as king. Let me say that again. In Old and New Testament, the giving of practical support was a healing ministry for those who entered into covenant with God by coming under the rule of Of God as King. So along with the preaching of the Word and renewal by the Holy Spirit, wholeness is brought to those who enter the family of God. Now we see in the Old Testament uh, that there is an emphasis first of all on meeting the needs of the covenant people of Israel. Deuteronomy fifteen says, There shall be no poor among you. For in the land the Lord your God has given you to possess as your inheritance, he will richly bless you if only you fully obey the Lord your God and are careful to obey all these commandments I am giving you today. And the New Testament uh, follows this emphasis. Uh, so we have Galatians 6 verse 10. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially those who belong to the family of believers. Right? So, we've to do good to all. Uh, we've got to do good especially to those who are the family of believers. And within that, especially, there's an especially, especially, those who are family members have an obvious priority also. Uh, Old Testament and New te- Testament. Leviticus 25, 25. If one of your countrymen becomes poor and sell some of his property, his nearest relative is to come and redeem what his countryman has sold. Now in our day, I guess we have a a lower appreciation of the the importance of bonds of of kinship. Family units are much more fragmented. Uh, As Christians, we need to remind ourselves of our obligation uh, to those who are uh, physically in our family. And we find the same emphasis in the New Testament. If anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for his immediate family, he is denied the faith, and is worse than an unbeliever. So, if you like, there are these concentric rings of of, uh, of care. Uh, your family, your physical family, uh, and then the, the family of God, and then... The outward community, those outside the church. So, we are going to um, we're going to look at these verses, which are verses about love. All right, uh, loving the family of God, and rather than look at them in the abstract, what we're going to do is we're going to take the the core verse, which is to uh, meet the needs of those who are share with those who are in need. Practice or pursue hospitality. And we're going to look at how uh, all that is said in the rest of these verses uh, can apply to the sharing with those who are in need and the giving of hospitality. How these are in fact adjectives as to how we are to display uh, kindness, practical kindness to others. These other verses describe the manner in which we do mercy ministry. Mercy ministry in the church must show, one, discernment, two, respect, three, commitment, four, action, five, sympathy. Discernment. Love must be sincere. Now, discernment is discernment of our own attitudes in helping others ensuring that we're sincere. And then secondly, discernment is being able to see whether or not what we are doing is helpful or not. Because sometimes helping hurts. And so we have to be discerning in how we come to the help of others. First of all, we have to discern whether we are doing what we are doing for the right reasons. Uh, the, there's something really incongruous about uh, doing an act of love as a hypocrite doing it for the wrong reasons the word sincere uh, comes from uh, a practice in uh, ancient Rome, it's from a Latin sine uh, which means without wax, sine caris and early Roman merchants would set out earthen and porcelain jars for sale and if a, a crack appeared in one of them what they did was they, they filled up the crack with wax of the same colour as the jar. And astute buyers, knowing that this was done, would, would take one of these uh, jars from the market and would place them uh, in the heat of the sun. And of course, if the crack had been filled with wax, the wax melted. But honest merchants would mark their goods as sinny without wax, you know, There's no hypocrisy here. This is a sincere uh, sale. Christian love should be without pretense. It should be the genuine article. No pretending to be what it is not. Now, that is increasingly important because we live in a world where there is a marked absence of sincerity. We're surrounded by people who give the impression that they want to do you good, uh, but actually they're after your dollar. So you're looking perhaps to buy a new car. It's especially true that the kind of more substantial the deal is, but you're you're on the phone, uh, perhaps, or in the sales room, and uh, you're really overwhelmed by how nice this salesperson is, and how they want how interested they are in the weather and in your family and, and how you're getting on, and every detail about your life until it comes to the point where the penny drops that you're not going to buy, you're not going to close the deal. And all of a sudden, they've got no time for you. The reason? They want to move on to the next person with whom they can be incredibly nice and chat about the weather and about your family and about your sports interests. Insincere love, Paul says, must not be like that. Uh, And therefore, we've got to be on the lookout as to some of the particular, peculiar traps that there are within the church. So it's not really good enough to say that you will remember someone in prayer when they're absent uh, simply because that's what Christians say. You know, if we say that we, then we need to follow that through. We need to be regular in praying for them. Uh, we need to be aware that uh, we can delude ourselves and we can be doing things in order to be recognised and thought well of. Love must be sincere. Professor Murray comments, if love is the sum of virtue and hypocrisy is the epitome of vice, what a contradiction to bring these together. It's so ugly. I think the the image that portrays that most is the, the kiss of Judas. When Judas comes and identifies Christ in Gethsemane, he comes and and he betrays his master with a kiss. The mark of affection, which is actually the, the supreme act of betrayal. <laughs> and so we need to ask, ask ourselves the questions that go beneath the surface. Am I doing this to be liked? Am I doing this to be noticed by others? Remember how insistent Jesus was in the Sermon on the Mount, that when you do good, when you give alms, be sure that nobody sees you. Be discreet. Be discreet. Am I doing this in the hope of a return favor? We need to discern our own motives. Love must be sincere. But secondly, discernment also means discerning the impact of your actions. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. <laughs> there is a, a saying which is quite misleading that love is blind. Love shouldn't be blind. Love should be discerning. Love should be discriminating because there are some actions which uh, could be done sincerely and lovingly, but if we're not discerning, they can actually be counterproductive. There's an excellent book on our church website. Uh, If you go to the website uh, and then go to the the, uh, online bookstore, the 10 of those bookstore there, one of the recommended books is a book by Brian Fickert when helping hurts and Fickert points out that uh, we can end up doing more harm than good uh, sometimes when we're involved in this area of helping people. For example, uh, by simply bailing out a person when they repeatedly fall into financial need we may create a spirit of dependency. That's not a good thing. You need to remember But the goal of showing practical mercy is wholeness in the life of the other person. Wholeness. Now that's not achieved if the person is left feeling dependent. We need to see dependency as an evil. We should hate it. The aim is to have each member of the family uh, living thriving, productive, happy and empowered lives, empowered to minister to others, also. So, mercy needs to be discerning, love what's, cling to what is good, hate what's evil. And that includes also recognizing sinful behavior for what it is and hating it. So, in our, in our dealings with others who would benefit from help, we need to be straight there's always a temptation to condone sinful behaviour, right? People will excuse alcoholism by calling it a disease and claiming to be passive sufferers. And it's the same with pornography addiction and gambling addiction. And when they do that, it takes away all responsibility and, of course, at the same time, hope. Showing mercy must include identifying sinful patterns of behaviour and addressing them. So discernment is really important. Love with your eyes open. Love is too important for it to degenerate into sentiment that may hurt. Okay, first of all, discernment. Second, respect. Respecting the other. I can eat most things but the one thing that i don't have much of a stomach for is hard boiled eggs okay so if i'm feeling really rough and someone uh, was to very nicely come round with a, a dish of something because uh, i'm feeling poor and the aroma of hard boiled eggs came before them with the gift i would really struggle to accept that gift in the christian spirit as should because i can't stand hard boiled eggs and the smell really does something to me. And sometimes, the manner in which we help nullifies the actual act itself. You know, it brings a bad smell to what we do uh, to help others. So the attitude we bring to a situation matters as much as what we do. And Paul speaks next about the respect that we should show people in the family who need our help. Be devoted to one one another in brotherly love. Brotherly love is a a brilliant Greek word. Philadelphia. A great name for a city. Philadelphia. Uh, And the the important thing there is that when we're helping those in the church, uh, it's brotherly or sisterly love. You know, we're we're actually interacting with a brother or a sister in Christ. You can't have a greater dignity than that. This other person uh, is not some poor soul who needs a handout. It's a daughter of the king. It's a, a, a son of the Most High, God. They have tremendous dignity and they should be shown brotherly love. It's wonderful how uh, a doctrine of sonship uh, permeates the whole Christian life, influences the way that we think of everything, including how we help others. It means that we respect them as members of the family. There ought to be a love in our Christian fellowship that runs deep, that is a family love, a family love that you wouldn't expect to find in a a football supporters club or a rotary club or anything else. But you should expect to find in the church where people are devoted to one another. Sometimes it's hard, of course, if we're honest, hard to be uh, devoted to someone who you know, has got a very different outlook of personality from you. But that's the way it is in normal families too. Sometimes we have to work it at, at getting along and there are, there are, there are struggles and, and quarrels sometimes. But overall, the overriding factor that regulates our behaviour is the fact that we belong to one another in Christ. That affection means that we will honour one another above ourselves. Honour one another above yourselves. That doesn't mean that we ditch the idea of being sincere and pretend that somebody is more gifted than we are when we may actually be more gifted in a specific area. That would uh, wouldn't make sense. But it reminds us that every Christian has enormous dignity because of the fact that they are members of the family of God. We have enormous worth. We ought to honour one another. Remember, some time back, hearing a minister who uh, was speaking of uh, the progress in his church in a very telling way. He said, "This we are learning to think and to speak well of one another." That is real progress, isn't it? That could be, pardon me, more more real progress than uh, the number of members increasing on in a roll. We are learning to think and to speak well of one another. One of the the real barriers to giving practical help is the possibility of the very act of giving making someone feel (coughs) inferior. If help is received as though it were a handout or a statement that they were poor, then the power of that action to bring wholeness is destroyed. And to a large extent, the helping we do within the body of the church will be beneficial when it's done in an atmosphere of respect in which we habitually speak well of one another. Honour one another. It's a beautiful uh, exhortation. Thirdly, commitment. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervour. Serving the Lord, be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer Okay, so realistically, uh, helping others sounds, sounds like fun, <laughs> but in reality, it's hard. It can be draining. Uh, it can really drain your energy. Uh, it can be therefore tempting to dip in and out of people's lives. It can be tempting to hold back from commitments. It can be tempting to help uh, because... We want to be needed. So there's a kind of dependency relationship with the person that we're trying to help. Or because we're trying to justify ourselves before others. And if these are motives, then we will burn out and we will, or we will pull out. And the secret of commitment is a walk with the Lord. Nourish your spiritual zeal by your daily Bible reading and by being faithful in prayer. Remind yourself that whatever this is, whatever this practical situation of of deed ministry is, no matter how mundane it is or how tedious it is, that you are serving the Lord. Uh, That puts everything in a new and wonderful perspective. And don't be content with anything less than zeal. Keep your spiritual fervour serving the Lord. Now the world is suspicious of enthusiasm of any kind. It doesn't particularly like zeal, especially from Christians. <laughs> but for the Christian, nothing less than wholehearted, bodies on the altar kind of devotion is worth giving to our God. So guard your heart, Paul is exhorting us, guard your heart against the deadening attitude that comes uh, when we dole out our love for God by the spoonful that puts a fence around commitment that stays by the home fire when we should be on the front line there is no more exciting life than the Christian life Uh, there is no more fulfilling invigorating uh, pursuit than when we are on the front line uh, sharing the gospel and meeting people's needs showing God's love in word and deed. Be out there. Keep your spiritual fervour, serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope. All of our work has the new creation on its horizon. Jesus is coming. We are looking forward to his return. We're looking forward to his well done, good and faithful servant. When we're afflicted in the midst of mercy ministry, therefore we learn to be patient. And we feed our commitment by bringing the situation before the Lord in faithful prayer. Fourth, action. Mercy ministry is obviously practical. We're only giving a short space to uh, two illustrations of how we are to show the love of God to members of the church family in practical deeds. Share with God's people who are in need, practice. Hospitality. The word share is kornonio, which uh, stresses the shared interest that we have with a brother or a sister in need. Uh, we are in a communion, in a sharing, in a fellowship as Christians. And therefore, uh, we share in the needs of others through supplying uh, what we can. It could be sharing our time with someone who is lonely sharing our money with someone who's in financial difficulty, sharing expertise in an area where they're uh, having trouble. In all events, it is practical, it is love in action, and action is always the litmus test of love. Without putting love into action, our best cliches, no matter how well turned they are, are simply cloaks for insincerity. Love must be active. But it's wonderful that when uh, we put love into action, not only does it prove love to be genuine, it also feeds love. There is nothing uh, so much a stimulus for love for the, the brothers and sisters as actually putting into practice the opportunities that we have. Uh, you are blessed yourself by exercising that ministry of meeting somebody's needs. But also, your love, which may have grown cold, is warmed, is fanned into flame, is made hot by the very practice of the ministry. Hospitality, a very practical way of doing this. When we meet over a meal, we're demonstrating in a real way that we're one. Uh, eating together is a powerful thing to do. We give opportunity to people to speak about their concerns. We support one another emotionally and spiritually, demonstrating we belong with one another, that people are valued. Don't underestimate the power of inviting someone to your home to share in a meal. There were Always be a need to do this energetically. Paul says literally, uh, not just practice hospitality, pursue hospitality. So it's difficult to get diaries coordinated. We live busy lives and so on. Pursue hospitality. Make it happen. Seek out people uh, to come for a meal who might otherwise be shy of the <coughs> on the fringe of the church. Deed ministry includes the ministry of hospitality. And then finally and briefly, the final ingredient within the church and outside is sympathy. Sympathy is that shared feeling whereby we enter into someone's emotions. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. We're to try to make our emotions fit The melody line of the people we're seeking to support. is sympathetic. When when something good has happened, in in general, when something good happens to you, your joy is always increased when there's someone uh, who can genuinely share your joy with you. You know, it's like uh, watching a good film. It's always better to watch a good film with somebody else who appreciates the film along with you and who can talk about it. That's the way that we're, we're made. Uh, and similarly, when we are able to adjust our emotions, uh, to tune in with the melody line of the person that we're uh, coming alongside, then we can help more meaningfully. If someone is sad, Again, the capacity to tune our emotions to that situation. Love never stands aloof to another person's feelings. When we seek to show mercy, we'll be best received when we also show sympathy. So, ministry of mercy. Our first priority is to one another. Let's all be active uh, in pursuing whatever it is the Lord lays before us, whatever opportunity we have. So that not only the deacons, but every member of Hope Church congregation in some way is ministering to someone else in a very practical, (coughs) honouring, sympathetic way. Committedly. May God bless to us these thoughts upon His Word. Let's